Welcome to Third Space. You might be on a run, you might be out for a drive, you might be at the office, but you're also in Third Space. Wow, that was smooth. Yeah? That was really smooth. I practiced it in the shower a lot, and I was really scared when I was saying it. Uh, Didn't know how that would come across. Well... (laughs) Like, it's such a simple line, but, but I don't know. I'm, well, everyone out there in their offices or running or whatever, they have been drawn in for sure after that. I've, I'm drawn in. Yeah, I just kind of just want to listen to you now. Yeah. I was doing it in my best podcast voice, too. Yeah. Welcome to Third... And are, are we are we, are we committed to Third Space Podcasting, the Third Space Podcast, Third Space? Like, what what uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the, the name of our podcast on the channel is Third Space Podcast. Okay. And so, are we currently Third Space Podcasting? I guess we are. I mean, okay. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Commit to it, right? Yeah, yeah, we are. Definitely. Yeah, we are. Yes, and. That's how I, you do a podcast. Yes, and. Absolutely we are. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, the, the site is up. I'm excited about it. I guess now... Uh, now people can actually listen. There's um, real access to it. I like that. Yeah. So, um, st- still being kind of fiddled with and changed a bit, but but it's there. I have a hypothetical situation for you. All right. I'll this have a taken... hypothetical answer. There we go. I was. Uh, this is taken from Chuck Klosterman's hypotheticals. So I suppose it's more. Uh, it's a really hypothetical situation i remember you mentioning this dude to me before and yeah that's a that's a good idea it's basically a a list of cards and i need to go revisit it but i was looking through some lesson plans earlier today and and i would pose these questions to my class and have them journal about it uh just because they're interesting and they're hypothetical and they're safe in terms of uh, no one's going to have a they're not political in nature, but they still reveal something about us. And really, sure. as, a, as a teacher of reading and writing, I want you to be able to, to justify your beliefs and okay. give reasons. So I want you to imagine uh, the following three sensations. Number one, you're uh, chewing and swallowing the first mouthful of your favorite food after starving yourself for 48 straight hours. The food is prepared perfectly. Number two... Lying down on an especially cozy bed after 12 hours of nonstop physical labor on a cold day. Number three, the first moment of urinary release after having held a completely full bladder for more than 90 minutes. So, for the rest of your life, you will feel one of these three ways all the time. This is how you will always feel 24 hours a day. You won't be doing the specific activity, but you'll always be experiencing the acts accompanying euphoria. So, this question is really simple. Which one do you select? Hmm. I like the question. Um, and just to simplify, it's chewing your favorite food, lying down after a hard labor, and yeah. peeing when you really, really have to go. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to recall times when I've had these experiences. So. I guess I couldn't. I couldn't nitpick the specifics of these, but that's not really the point. I don't think I'll do that because I was thinking like, after forty-eight hours of starving yourself, anything is going to taste good. The fact yeah. that it's your favorite food is kind of irrelevant. And like, also, if you've ever fasted, I've never fasted for forty-eight hours, but I fasted for more than twenty-four hours. And when you're, have after, you intentionally? Yeah. 
Okay. And after you do that, you kind of it's you strangely lose your appetite um, because your body kicks over into to essentially burning its fat, um, and so you you actually don't have as much of an appetite. Uh, so you go through a journey of getting really hungry, and it's almost like you break through, you push through right. the discomfort, so, like, and all of a sudden it, it's not. If I try to think of the hungriest I've ever been, it's not you know towards the back end of that fast. It's like after eating a small breakfast and then having to go to a late lunch. You know, at, by that late lunch, I'm ravenous and right. I'm just like I could eat anything, and that's like that makes I'm super hungry then. But if I if I push through that and fast, then. I actually don't have a strong of an appetite. Anyway, that's not the point. That's not. I agree. I think the thing is you're that's really not the hungry hypothetical. and you have but, this great food. Yeah. But and so this pleasant sensation is not. It's the actual taste of the food that's that's pleasant. So it's the savoring of that delicious flavor. Because if you're just chewing the food, then you're not actually sating your hunger, right? It's the it's the it's the joy of finally being able to eat again. So. Yeah. I think so it's an I, interesting way of packaging tasting that the pleasure, the maximum pleasure of food, like right. that, that you have the perfect bite and the perfect amount of hunger and the perfect, right. uh, it, all of this. It's, it's the maximum pleasure that food can bring you and what in that, in that singular mm-hmm. moment. And then the other one lying down, like the, uh, I mean, I would say that that, the, the eating one is the, uh, it's the hardest one to actually nail down right it's the because it's explicit well it's explicitly pleasant i mean i would say the peeing one is explicitly a release which is all, well they're all pleasant but one's a release from the both uh, number two and three are releases yeah. and relief uh this is i guess if you're 48 hours and you're starving kind of thing or you're very very hungry i should say <clears throat> but I, I don't know they're just the two and three seem right. more closely aligned than number yeah, one I, I agree with that anyway um, that's kind of my, that's what I'm thinking for the first one. And like, I don't know, that one doesn't call to me because while, while I can, I certainly can enjoy the taste of, of delicious food. I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem that special and I'm going to, you know, it's definitely a candidate for choosing, but I'm going to put that aside for the moment. The getting into bed after a hard day's work, maybe getting under some some nice heavy covers. It's cold. Yeah, that's that's very pleasant. But if I were to experience that sensation constantly, like I would be a less effective human being. Like I would be drowsy and falling asleep, and just I would not want to. I wouldn't want to move. I wouldn't want to actually upset that state, even though the hypothetical that you're posing says that I feel that all the time, that feeling makes me want to be stationary. Right. I'm trying to anticipate uh, what would it feel like to be working out or, um, you know, in the sort of like an excited state of mind where you're wanting to do and act and you're feeling that way. How does, does that, how, what's the interplay there? Like, is right. it distracting and frustrating that you're just wanting to lay there? Well, and that's another thing. Like when I say it would make me stationary, not just physically, it's almost, it's almost a mental damper a soothing <laughs> a, a soothing damper. blanket on my mind all the time which can be very pleasant after a long day's work but what sometimes you want some energy you know you want to be excitable and if i had this feeling all the time i wonder if it would be as easy you know how excitable i can get <laughs> it would be much more difficult for me to you know be really excitable so i actually i don't lean towards that one even though even though if you 
when I try to think which one of these is the most pleasant, I might choose that one. I don't think I would want that sensation all the time. I, actually, I think I'm going to choose the the peeing feeling. I love the feeling when I pee. I pee all the time <laughs> you, just for this. Really, you... <laughs> I, I pee recreationally. You're a recreational peer. Yeah. <laughs> wait, I'm the best wait. peer of all my peers. So... <laughs> What, um, wait, wait. Let me ask you. What's? Are, were you being serious that you love peeing though? No, uh, no. I'm just. I'm being silly. But I knew uh, well, that. I mean, but like, is there? Is there really? I mean, there's pleasure well, when 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 pain. The pain is released, or you are relieved of your your pee pain. That's an right. It's awesome not actually feeling. pain. It's a. Well, I mean, it can be painful if you if you really hold it for too long. But it's a bizarre feeling that's just this deep in your body discomfort. Um, I actually like if I were writing the hypothetical, you know, maybe it's a less pleasant topic to discuss, but when you have to poop really bad, it's way worse than when you have to pee really bad. That, right. that sensation gives you cold sweats and makes you shaky and just like almost not nauseated with the feeling of that peeing. I've never had it quite get that bad by having to pee. Well, the act of pooping too is this sort of you have to. I feel like exercise your muscles, and if I'm not mistaken, peeing is relaxing a muscle. And and right. and I'm actually hard pressed. Maybe you, the science guy, can kind of answer this. But are there how many how many functions of our body are exercised by relaxation? Because it seems almost every other push and pull and everything we do is uh, is constricting. I don't know if that's the right word, but we're using our muscles. We're tightening and. But in order for the bladder to function, it's relaxation. Is there anything else like that? Um, when you exhale, uh, that's relaxing your diaphragm. I mean, obviously you had to. That's a good point. You had to inhale by by using your diaphragm. But when you exhale, then yeah. you're, re- you're relaxing that muscle. In the I'm same sure. way, you have to exercise your bladder by not peeing on yourself. I suppose you could you could try to make the argument that. Um, falling asleep is a, a relaxation of your conscious perception. I like that. It's a pleasant thought, or at least an interesting one. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there are others too, but but yeah, peeing, peeing definitely a relaxation of um, uh, of of a muscle, or and that lets it flow. So, but that the sensation of peeing, especially when you had to pee really bad, if it, it feels nice, um, that relief, but. But it's not a sensation that would put me to sleep or otherwise distract me. Um, I think that, like some sort of superhero, I could channel that sensation for go- for the good of humanity. <laughs> you know, it's almost I a could, neutral I could, feeling. It's I would not be out. You. I would be out walking down the sidewalk, and I would see like some ne'er do wells harassing an old lady, and I would be like, oh, "I really feel like I'm peeing right now. Time to fix this." And I walk over, and you know. <laughs> slap things. them into place and, and yeah. fix things ne'er yeah. do wells <laughs> some ragamuffins when i visualize the sort of pleasure face associated with these three things like or, or even just it, let's, if you go cartoonish with it i i actually feel like peeing is the most dramatic if you taste takes a bite of food i'm imagining it's actually a similar face someone's like maybe closing their eyes and going mm. And then, and then with lying down, it's kind of an ah. But I feel like the pee like can get a little more enthusiastic, like woohoo, you know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just, or or even a longer ah. Uh, 
and like I think that speaks to uh, the the release and, and experiencing that. I, I mean, I'm with you. If you're choosing three, I think I'm choosing three. Not be, not because, but in a, in conjunction with your choice. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. <clears throat> well, I definitely think you've given uh, given us some sound clips to to chop up in any <laughs> any ads or anything like that. I think the lesson here, though, is that like pleasure is is in some ways like contingent upon wearing off or being or change. Mm-hmm. Like we can't just sit there. It's I don't know that I would want that experience if even just given the option. Would you like this pleasurable thing to feel for the rest of your life? The answer would be, uh, nah, no, thank you. I don't. I don't want. I don't want any one feeling forever. That freaks me out. Yeah, and no, I tend to agree with that. And I mean, right when you asked the question. You know, I was thinking like, well, this almost like many hypotheticals and especially in hypotheticals, a lot of times they're just infeasible. And so it's hard to actually put yourself in that mindset and think of what you would do. That's why, like, I can get annoyed at hypotheticals, especially if you're talking with someone who is arguing with you, especially in bad faith. And they say, oh, well, well, let me ask you this. If this, then what would you do? Well, you're not in that context, and so it's hard to actually assess what your what your actions would do. And so, you know, I usually give back the annoying answer that, like, well, if, you know, if this is a hypothetical, then I can do whatever I want. I can solve any problem and, you know, behave as a superhero and do whatever. Like, I hate, be, try, I hate people trying to box me in with hypotheticals. Um, Are you saying, then, that you don't like hypotheticals, generally speaking? No, well... Only uh, when when you try to use them against me, really. When you try to box me in in bad faith, if they're thought experiments, I really like that, and that, that kind of leads me into uh, a segment that I was going to try to bring up for the first time with this here, um, and uh, and I hope that in discussing these things, since we're kind of doing it in good faith, we can approach all the different angles of the hypotheticals. Um, I won't necessarily try to box you in. New segment, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I don't. I don't. Like you, I, I mean, a thought experiment is great and it's fun, but if it's some sort of, whether it's a political trap or just some clear, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get to know something about you, and then it, then it's a game and you feel like right. you're walking them in a minefield. So let's right. hear this new segment. <clears throat> this new segment, I've tentatively titled it, I think I like the title, Mind Your Morals. Ooh, alliteration. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, really, it's really simple, um, but... Everyone's heard of like uh, ethical dilemmas, moral dilemmas. You know the whole the classic trolley problem, um, which I guess if uh, if you're unfamiliar with that, is the one where you know there's a trolley on some tracks. The tracks forks. Um, you're standing by the lever that can make the trolley go left or right. On one fork of the track, there's someone tied up to the tracks, and on the right fork, there's five people tied up on the tracks. If you do nothing then the trolley is going to go and run over um, five people. And if you throw the lever, then it's going to turn the other way and hit one person. What do you do? That's the that's the moral dilemma um, there. And that's something that's we a, could probably talk about for a long time. But yeah, that's like it's, one it's of the most classic, classic ones. Yeah. It, it's classic, and um, you know there are lots of variations on it, replacing the people on the tracks with you know loved ones or or criminals or whatever an innocent baby or something like that yeah. all that all those kinds of variations and that can get really interesting um and so along those lines i tried to come up with a bunch of situations some of them are i classify them as mild they're not 
particularly, you know, fantastic. You know, they're not wild situations. They're more realistic. Um, and it's just to kind of think about the morals of the situation. Maybe put yourself in the shoes of the situation. Maybe not. And I have some medium ones that are a, a, a little bit, either they're more serious moral issues or they're a little bit more fantastical. And then I have spicy ones that are uh, spicy that are either hot button moral topics or really fantastical situations that I've devised. Um, yeah. And uh, so I, I came up with a list. Uh, we, we're not going to do many, I don't think, because um, I think any of these could spawn a long discussion. So we'll, we'll, why don't we start off with a mild one? I like it. Um, just pretty simple to ease did into you, did it. Did you make these up? Like you just came up with them? <clears throat> I made up most of them, <coughs> and I did a search for a few uh, that I found um, and modified for my own purposes. And a few are real, you know, real life issues that you awesome. hear about. All I'm time. excited. This is me uh, doing my hands together I can and hear like it. A ready to eat, ready to consume whatever you're about to give me. All, All right. Well, here it comes. This is mild. So. You're on the way to work, and you're on the interstate, so you're approaching your exit. Uh, your situation at work isn't too great. Things haven't been well between you and your boss. Uh, you get the feeling that you're kind of on thin ice at work. But today, you have an important presentation, and you hope that in giving the presentation, you'll earn some favor and turn things around. But on your way to work, it turns out traffic is backed up in the right lane of the interstate, People are backed up a long way trying to get off of your exit, the one that you need to get to, to school. They're backed up so far, in fact, that it would take 30 minutes to sit through all of those cars, get off the exit. Uh, but the left lane is clear. Uh, so the, the question is, do you wait in the line of cars? Do you obey the, the law? Do you not be a jerk? Uh, or do you drive in the left lane and cut in in front of the cars to get off the exit and hopefully make it in time for your meeting? Right. Okay, I think I understand everything. I noticed you said uh, obey the law. It's, it, it, I don't think it's technically illegal. It's just culturally frowned upon, right, to kind of jump ahead in line like that. You're right. Or is it illegal? I, no, 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 I think you're right. That's, that's correct. <coughs> so, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Um, huh. Well, let me walk you through how I typically make any decision. And, and I've told you this before, <laughs> but it's worth... Like, let's just say it's something innocuous and amoral, like... Um, go picking dinner like you and i want to go you want a burger and i want pizza um mm-hmm. i try to gauge how important like let's just say i kind of want pizza but you you really wanted a burger then i feel like most people do this they want to just I, I would just defer to you and get the burger um but right. if i really if i'm trying i'm trying to quantify quality so trying to quantify desire so if i could rain you know it's just whatever the desire wins out, and I'll choose that one. <coughs> yeah, you, you're you're weighing the um, the pros and cons, essentially the benefits and the drawbacks, whatever. If I if I have uh, if if a burger sounds eight on a scale of one to ten, delicious to me, and a pizza, you know, sounds five on a scale of one to ten to you, then you would defer. Right. But what's difficult, or I honestly think what makes my decision-making, it, it doesn't sound unique, it's not particularly insightful, but I genuinely try to just take in both and uh, and try to be sincere about and then hold hold to that. And the same would be true if I tr- was very much wanting that pizza and you just seemed like, you know, I'd prefer a burger, man. I'd, I'd push back and I'd say, look, I think I want this pizza more than you want it. So if I apply <laughs> this situation to these, you know, let's say 50, 60 cars backed up, whatever it is, right. um, I'd, 
I am tempted to say, look, I am not just late to work. Like everyone's got to get somewhere. That's a pretty obvious thing when you're on the road. You're going from A to B. So everyone's trying to get to work and it's probably, or or maybe not just work, but you know, most likely everyone's getting to work at this time. Um, but my circumstances are pressing. Uh, you, you gave all the context. You know, my job isn't going well. Here's an opportunity. Uh, I'm going to kick myself for having left late or not prepared. I mean, I'm already feeling like I have to own this moment or this mistake, and I'm already trying to be reflective about how did I find myself in this situation, but that's not really the question. So um, I think I would... I would be the jackass in this this situation and be like, look, they're going to think I'm a jackass. This makes me very uncomfortable, but I'm willing to feel uncomfortable and frustrate some people because I'm one car here and I really got to get to work and I'm not going to do this typically. And I'm going to try and use this as a life lesson when I see someone else cutting in front that maybe they're not just a jackass. Maybe they, maybe they are in this similar situation. So I think honestly, I think I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna do it, and I'm not gonna be happy about it. This is a, a frustrating situation, but I don't feel like I'm violating moral principle. I think I'm just uh, I'm more violating like a social convention, and I I take take social conventions and politeness and all this very seriously, um, but I don't take it as seriously as like the social capital or the political capital in my job. Like that is pressing and immediate and real. And this is all stuff that will dissipate quickly. This, this scenario, their annoyance with me, all of that is like very temporary. Whereas my job is less temporary. This has some serious possible serious consequences because it sounds to me like if I'm late for this scenario or this, this um, presentation I'm going to give that could feed the, or, or, you know, feed the fire or whatever. And I don't want that. Uh, you could, it could feed the fuel. Feed you getting fired. And feed me getting fired. <laughs> um, I, I tend. I think I tend to agree with with your assessment. When I was thinking it over earlier, that's that's kind of the conclusion I came to as well. The the moral argument. Um, I couldn't come up with any especially strong moral arguments against cutting in line because I came to the same conclusion that. Really, this is more uh, – it's not a law thing. It's more of a socially agreed upon way of behavior on the road. Um, you know, you might have to suffer someone uh, shooting you a bird in your rearview mirror, maybe a horn honk. But, like, you're going you're gonna to get to work on time and hopefully keep your job. Is it injustice, um, though? I mean, at its core, is the person who doesn't deserve to be in front well, is, is forcing their way in front. It's, it's a mild injustice, right? Well, the I think the the moral argument that you would have to make against cutting in line is that you don't know the plights of all of the fifty or sixty cars in line. Every one of those fifty or sixty people could be in the same situation as you, if not worse, and and just deciding to you know take what they see as the morally correct action of waiting in line, orderly to to get off the interstate, um, and so. By cutting in line in front of them, you are you're you're implicitly saying my plight is more important than yours yes. when really you don't know anything about them. Um, now the you know the law of averages would say that sure, on average these people are you know not experiencing any you know emergencies, um, and, and this was part of my reasoning as well is that if it were you know if it were truly an emergency a life and death sort of thing then they would be getting over on the shoulder um or 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 taking more extreme actions than simply cutting in line uh and so i'm okay with uh incurring the the moral wrath of some <laughs> moral some wrath. 
people in the interstate line, uh, and I, I probably would also make that selfish decision on the interstate to, to preserve my well, job. Well, just because statistically, like you said, it's it's you're you're making the assumption that in this specific scenario, my my uh, my situation's worse than the other people's, right. and you're probably right, even though well, you don't know. Here's here's a twist on the situation that makes it very clear. What if um, instead of you know a bunch of normal cars? Uh, the the thing that's causing the traffic was a gigantic pileup, lots of injuries, and and in the line waiting to get off are you know five or six ambulances, uh, and here you come approaching the exit, and you know in order to cut in you have to cut in in front of you know ambulances with their lights on and stuff. It, obviously things would people would get out of the way for the ambulances, but right. if that were the situation, then then you would know some people that I'm cutting in front of actually you know maybe in life-threatening danger and then it changes my answer entirely yeah i mean not for a second am i going to put my presentation above like safety and health and like legitimate life or death type stuff right and and just legally too that might actually get into being illegal right Um, and you would have an excuse when you got to work and say did you see on the news the 30 car pile up right that's a good point then you probably or near that yeah yeah um all right, so that's a nice mild one. Do you like kind of the uh, the uh, the idea of the of mind your morals? I do. Um, I like and... I, just because like it reveals. I think what our moral compass is perhaps the most important thing we have. Like, I mean, I value so many things about my identity or people's identity, but I would say morality is a huge one. Like, what common threads? Where do we differ? Why do we differ? Do we actually have similar values? But they manifest differently, and when you talk through it, you might discover, oh, it's not that this person's immoral or against your morals. It's more that there's some subtle value judgments that I can learn about why they arrived at that conclusion. So, yeah, I love the idea of examining, um, you know, hypothetical situations that test my compass and help me think about it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Good. I think one thing that uh, that we should do for these, even if briefly, is try try to make a case – the pro case, the pro moral case, and the con moral case, whatever it may be, um, for each of the issues, just to tease out, you know, what's the argument for this course of action or against this course of action? Well, then, really quickly, I mean, isn't it? I mean, I, I said this already, but it's it's unjust or it's unjust, it's injustice to we have a line, you've cut the line, that's just wrong. Like, there's not, like, it's not illegal, but it is. It is. Yeah. The, the question is how explicit. Is that understanding, you know, like, I, mean, um, I think it's for example, fairly you, solidified in well, our culture. Well, do you, well, yeah, it is a cultural thing, though, and especially in, you know, America where the melting pot, all these different cultures come together. You can't be you 100%. Said it like, like, that's a silly thing, the melting pot. No, well, it's, no I, look, yeah, I'm not trying to make fun of that, but it's a cliche term. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, like, we're not 100% guaranteed that everyone shares the same cultural norms. Right. Whereas, for example, if you remember when you and I visited Japan, do you remember when we would go, we were in Tokyo or wherever, and we would go to cross the street, and even on, like, small side streets, no one crossed the street until the traffic signal said to walk across the street. Yes. Like, even when no cars were coming, you know, it was early morning, and a side street, 
clearly you're not going to get run over, but people would stand there and wait until the sign turned. It was strange. No traffic. No one's observing them. I'm assuming there's not some sort of, you know, policeman going to jump out. It was, and people, we'd all be standing there and you and I would just, you know, obey the cultural norm and law, I suppose, of, of just not crossing, but definitely in America, like I would have crossed without thinking. It was just sort of an obvious, you know, no one's around. Let's cross the street, guys. What are we doing? I mean, when I'm driving around in, in my city here in the u.s like i actually think more often than not pedestrians that i see just start walking regardless you know unless traffic is actively crossing the road they don't care if it's the walking man or the hand they just start if there's no cars crossing the road they start going and expect the cars to stop for them um and in japan it definitely wasn't that way right And, and so my point in saying that is that you know the the cultural expectation to wait in line rather than cut in line is cultural and you know you can make an argument that it's not explicit and so you're not explicitly doing something uh unjust by cutting in line because you know you didn't know or you couldn't be guaranteed that everyone agreed to those same set of moral guidelines you know i had a situation in walmart oh, point taken by the way but i had a situation in walmart um checking out and you know how the lanes, um, they actually have, like, another set right in front of them sometimes. Um, how do I put this? Like, Yeah, it, I think I know. They're, like, stacked. they're kind of staggered. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so um, we were in this situation where they were both open and people had lined up. And who, whichever one would open up first, the next person would come in line. Um, but the line looked like it was behind the, the, the one uh closer to the back i mean the one everyone was close to and so a woman just walked up past all of us and 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 someone said something to her she said no one's in line here and uh it was just i don't even remember this was years ago but i thought you know what you're doing and you're being a jerk and that's unbelievable uh and i felt like that that was unjust that was unjust that reminds me uh vaguely of um you'll you'll recognize this story but i have a co-worker um who I used to work more closely with, who, uh, who, who almost spitefully parks in handicapped parking spots, um, especially at work because there's no one at uh, at work who you, who has a handicap sticker or legitimately needs the handicap spots, and we don't have guests, um, and so she says that it's, Never. it's point, huh? Never have guests. Like we occasionally just... have guests, but very, almost visitors. all the time don't have guests, and you know when we do have guests, they're not in wheelchairs or anything. So. Yeah. Um, and so she parks in the handicap spots and says that she doesn't think it's right for, you know, the, the government to mandate where you can and can't park um, and that the, the space is just going to waste. And I'm sure she has other more detailed arguments. But that attitude of I see an opportunity and the rules don't either the rules don't explicitly tell me I can't behave this way or I don't agree with the rules I'm going to take advantage of the situation yeah, do you, in front of do you me. think she sincerely hold, holds that conviction and is taking a principled stand or she wants she's justifying being able to park closer now <laughs> uh it's hard to say i didn't I, I didn't get too deeply into that conversation um with her uh and uh, i i can i can actually i can understand her argument a little bit because i frequently get annoyed at seeing empty handicap spaces especially when there are four five or six of them and the parking lot is you know jam full and you have to drive around for a long time looking for a spot meanwhile all the handicap spots are open 
that annoys me. Um, well, I mean, I also, because to... I don't think that the benefit that handicap spots provide to handicap people is actually worth the top-down government mandate of handicap spots everywhere. I don't think it's worth it because the benefit that they gain is what they now they have to wheel themselves uh, still across the road and into the building as opposed to a little further down the parking lot. I just I don't think that in the context of their situation that distance is all that valuable, especially not to it's not worth the government mandating that we put all of these spots everywhere for that small benefit. Yeah, so there there might there is I think a case to be made and to examine like what is the usefulness of handicapped spots. But I think what's bizarre about this person's story is that they've decided to they don't like they don't agree and then they just decide to rebel by I do it's like someone saying I don't you know this whole taxes thing this is a little <laughs> too high I think I'm only, only going to pay this much or I'm going to pay none like well wait a second I don't know that you can just do that uh, to me it's like you can disagree but you're also part of something bigger uh, in which this is the way things are and so to rebel against that like what are the costs and benefits uh, that's true that's a that's a good point I, I don't um, as much as I you know enjoy taking principled stands uh, I don't think I guess you might call this vigilante justice in a way <laughs> vigilante parking lot justice um, you know might not be exactly the right approach to take uh, because I mean, who are you going to convince with those tactics? Um, oh, you're and... not. That makes me suspicious that she just wants to park but, close. <laughs> yeah, know? it does. You know that it does bring that suspicion there, and that may actually that may be part of the motivation. Um, uh, but like again, let's imagine that that's not the motivation. How is she possibly going to even budge the status quo handicap spot situation because everyone like. If you ever try to make the argument that we should abolish handicapped parking spots, people are going to think you're a monster who doesn't care about the disabled. Uh, and it's an emotional argument against that position. No one is going to actually weigh the pros and cons of handicapped spots and how much benefit they actually do. No one's going to do that. No, None of her local legislators or anyone is going to listen to her argument. Nothing is ever going to change. So in, in a way, you could get into the mindset of thinking – Taking a principled stand, vigilante parking lot justice is the only way that I'm going to even have my opinion heard. Um, you can get into the mindset of thinking that's the only Maybe. way. Maybe. I behave. think it's just a poor presentation of the argument because you're right. If you go in and say, let's abolish parking, handicapped parking spots, you're not going to get a whole lot of traction, whether or not you're statistically right, even. I think the thing to do is go, here's a better way to pe- help yes. people with handicap uh, yes. issues. Well, that's, that's, that would be my argument. Um, and in fact, I actually think it's kind of a, a good argument rather than appealing to the government to top down force everyone to include handicapped spots in their parking lots. Why don't you let the market decide um, what's the best approach for handling disabled customers? And you can imagine at a grocery store like Publix, which has really good customer service. Did you know shopping's a pleasure there? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. I actually, um, I would, I would probably choose the feeling of shopping at Publix over the feeling of peeing, given the choice. <laughs> where shopping um, is, a, where peeing is a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can imagine a, a store like Publix with really good uh, customer service, as opposed to having handicapped parking spots take up, you know, the first three or four rows of their entire parking lot. They could have, you know, people on the little motor scooter buggy things um go pick up 
the people who disabled people who are yeah. parking. Um, maybe maybe there are designated spots um, in a different spot in the parking lot. If you park there, then someone meets you there with the cart, or maybe they just have you know in the median rows of their parking lots they have the motorized carts that they put out there all the time. You, you could just imagine a better solution to the problem that is more equitable, still um, still provides a service to the disabled people um, without causing. Uh, potential traffic problem. I mean, there are a lot of downsides to handicap parking spots that sound petty, and really this whole topic is a little petty, but they take up space, they can cause traffic problems, um, park, you know, parking lot coverage on the ground is a problem for environmental reasons, causes more runoff, um, more deforestation. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, if I'm trying to be to be petty about it, then, I mean... People complain about parking lots. Handicap spots are parts of parking lots. And so I think the more serious the consequence is that it allows... So if the government makes me put in the handicap thing and put in a handicap rail and put in all of this is the legal way to do things, it perhaps robs me from... Uh, like now I've, I I don't have to care. Like I just... I, I, I did what I had to do and I'm not going any further. I, I'm... You know, I've, I've obeyed the law instead of... Right. I'm imagining what you were saying, like a, a, almost a commercial of publics, like serving their clientele and every, you know, people from all walks of life and this sort of heartwarming, like look out. And then, you know, it's going to attract people. I believe people are going to go where they're treated the best kind of thing. Yes. And so there'd yeah. be, there'd be a, a positive public pressure to, uh, to ensure that, you know, you're helping everyone. And besides, like, I think what your point is too, is like, if you're in a handicapped spot, it's not, it's not rolling your wheelchair 20 feet i mean honestly i'm ignorant of this so i'm not going to claim to speak for anyone but it's not rolling your chair 20 more feet it's actually things like transitions uh from indoors to outdoors and right. ramps and like yes. textures and i imagine it's a whole slew of different things like that and really the challenge is getting in and out of vehicles anyway yes. these are it's, that's the yes. difficult stuff not rolling Absolutely. a little bit that's, longer that, yeah, that's part of that's part of my you know my spontaneous case against handicapped parking spots. <laughs> uh, like ramps on the sidewalk inconvenience no one. Like I don't even notice the ramps when they're there, and so it's a it's a it's an excellent thing to say. Hey, you know we think everyone should have a ramp on their sidewalk so that people in wheelchairs can more easily get up onto the curb. It makes perfect sense. It doesn't inconvenience anyone. The handicapped parking spots, however are wasted space most of the time and they do inconvenience people so that's not an ideal solution to the problem and like you say the the amount of effort that a disabled person has to spend in their journey from their home to the grocery store where do they spend the most effort i would almost guarantee you that it's not in the traversal of the parking lot between a parking spot and the door um, or the ramp on the sidewalk. It's not that traversal. It's, like you say, getting in and out of the vehicle, the actual navigation, uh, navigating the curb, getting into the scooter or wheelchair or what have you. That's where the difficulty is. That's where we should be focusing our effort. Um, but what, so do you, what do you another think? Thing, here's another thing that uh, another downside that's more of a, a Bennett annoyance is that um, handicap spots, they're trendsetters for these other hangers on of parking lot spots like do you ever go and see like oh well f the first three are blue for handicapped and then there's another two or three for pregnant mothers or just mothers in general and then there's another one for veterans and yeah or even like another one for employee of the month or whatever like 
come on. Like, just it's a parking lot. Just make it a free for all. Like, are we going to eventually have you know? You can you can run this to absurdity and say like oh are we gonna have like you know elderly parking spots like here's the parking spots for our teachers and our firemen and any any social right. group we that we want to put on a pedestal let's just give them some parking spots. Let, so let me try to we're zoomed into the specifics and all of this and the logistics but what if you take a more zoomed out approach more um, culturally in which. Uh, people with disabilities have been sort of relegated to the side and like dismissed for, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, people with disabilities like in special needs were not even, I mean, they were like in a closet in the basements of schools and stuff like that. They were, you know, it's basically just don't talk about or don't think about. And so I, I think if I'm trying to take a, a gracious interpretation of all of this is to say, no, 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 we're not going to we're going to culturally shift and we're also going to legislate. Like if you open a business, you've got to make your place accessible. And this is just not a negotiation we're having. Like there's a minimal standard. And so uh, whether it's ramps or, you know, whatever it is, it seems reasonable that we were not in a place culturally that, I mean, we were sort of like either it was just more taboo or embarrassing or whatever nasty, uh, like they weren't, people with disabilities weren't as welcome in our society it seems it seems like we are far more welcome and that seems to correlate with perhaps uh you know saying hey we're gonna make things accessible for them too does that make sense Uh, that makes perfect sense and i certainly agree that we should treat um disabled people humanely um and with kindness that we would treat anyone else but i have two two observations about what you said first is it true that we used to view the disabled in such a negative light, like you say. I'm not sure that that's actually well, true. Well, I would like to study, because obviously we're just talking off this, on the spot here, but when I took some special education courses, it was a pretty bad past in education anyway, specifically education. We didn't education know what I we can were understand. doing. We were just like, eh, put them in the closet. I mean, it was bad. Uh, yeah, culturally, sure, I can understand I, that for education, but what about for you know, people uh, in wheelchairs or with, you know, cerebral palsy or whatever, like, well, how, what is, what was their plight like? Is it truly as bad as you say, or... I don't you know, know. I don't, I don't know. know either. Yeah. Well, that that's the thing. I'm not, I'm, I'm always skeptical of um, these claims of, uh, of oppression initially. Um, certainly there are oppressed groups and have been, that's undeniable, but whenever you can try to get uh whenever you you try to take on the plight of some other group in order to make a change in the present i'm always a little bit skeptical of your motivations um not that i'm accusing you of that but that's that's only one thing is i would like to know more about whether that's true if in the past we really did treat um people with disabilities poorly uh and and i suppose that it makes sense given that we passed legislation for this things so that there was at least some case to be made that it was necessary. So that, you know, I'll grant. The, but the second point that I want to make is, you know, you, you, you said that um, we need to make a cultural shift uh, in the way we treat the disabled. My question would be, is it, is it the government's role to control or direct culture? I mean that's a huge question. <laughs> yeah, I would say I would say absolutely not that the go- the government is is not the arbiter of our cultural direction and should not be used as a cudgel to 
push our culture in a given direction. That would, right. be, that would be my argument. It should be anyway. downstream from culture. Like culturally, we feel this, this, and this. All right. Um, well, I'm, I'm not even sure. Yeah. It's, it's just a big, it's a big, big topic that I. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, we've deviated. We've deviated. Mind your morals has really gotten us into a moral quandary, not even about handicapped parking spots. Let me ask so. you this, though. What's the most sinister reason, perhaps, that, uh, like, handicapped parking spots or any sort of legislation like that? Uh, what, oh, yeah. When you said you might, you, you start to suspect the moral or the oh. motivations, What what is the most corrupt way it could go like with someone back there saying i just can't wait to control small businesses or what's going on possibly um that could control is a big part of it i think kind of a um, classic just expand government like expand government also i think probably the larger portion is virtue signaling um the the ability to cast yourself as morally superior and your political opponents as um you know monstrous and morally inferior to say you know, I'm the good person, they're the bad person, vote for me and my policies. Yeah. Um, that's really what I think it is. And I think that this is rampant in modern-day politics, um, people trying to take advantage of particular groups in order to get political points. Well, it is interesting. Yeah. Like, I think we should treat the handicapped better. What do you, you know, my political yeah, opponent doesn't. Yeah, what do you think? Like, yeah, okay. That's, that, that, <laughs> that's why I say if you ever, ever try to make the case, and this is you know, going back to my coworker, if she ever tries to make a serious case, even through the correct channels of you know, talking to her local government officials or whatever, that we should do away with handicapped spots, she would be laughed out of the building. By, by people on all, you know, of all political stripes, she would just be laughed out because you know, no, one's going to, no, one's going to, <laughs> no one's going to fight for her position. Well, I would also it. take her more seriously if she was passionate about, like she used the opportunity, hey, why are you, why are you parking in that handicapped spot? And then she was like, I'm actually trying to get some changes done here, here, and here to make life even better for people with disabilities. But instead, it sounds like she's just kind of using this pseudo-intellectual, a little bit provocative argument that has merit, but she's just parking in handicapped spots. Come on, right? Like, that's what it sounds like to me. Right, right. And, you know, I also, again, like I say, I didn't uh, I didn't have an in-depth discussion with this person on this topic. Um, it could be that this was just kind of an off-the-cuff bravado posturing sort of statement that she made, and she does it at at our workplace where it's really safe to do so (laughs) and not anywhere else. Um, It could easily be that. Um, I want to move us along to, uh, to another one because that was a mild, if that was mild, then I'm very interested to see where medium and spicy. I'd like to see medium. I don't even know if I can handle spicy this time. You know what I mean? Like maybe we save it for another time. Seriously. (laughs) Um, So this uh, medium one is a weird one that I came up with before I even conceptualized this segment actually. And I, I massaged it into being fit for this, so prepare, prepare yourself for weirdness. Okay. So imagine, uh, I, I guess, for your part, let's put you in the position of a, a judge who's uh, examining the situation that has arisen. So imagine that someone creates a poison, uh, and this poison is fatal only when the victim, the person who is poisoned, says a certain rare word. So... Um, perhaps the poison is a powder that, that someone gets sprinkled into their cereal or whatever. If they eat the cereal, nothing happens to them. But if they say a particular rare word, like n- the word Neanderthal, they say that word, they, they keel over dead 
Okay. Um, it's instantly fatal if you say the word um, of this Neanderthal poison. So anyway, if you catch a poisoner, uh, someone who has sprinkled this stuff in someone's cereal, after they poison the victim, but before the victim says Neanderthal, they're still alive, they, they haven't been harmed in any way, but if they ever say the word Neanderthal, they will die. Mm. How, do we, how would you as the judge handle the poisoner's situation? Has he committed a crime? If so, what would the sentence be? Would it be the, an equivalent sentence to murder? Or would it be something like a, a speech-related crime since it only affects the victim's ability to say a word? What do you think about that situation? Uh, well, I'll give you my knee-jerk reactions is that, well, certainly they've committed a crime because there's something about intent to harm that's very clear there. Uh, I'm sure... I wish I knew more about the law, but like... I'm. Attempts at murder happen, or even plots to carry out a murder, or hiring, trying to hire a hitman, or all sorts of crazy things go on that the plans are foiled, and and that results still in some major, major like jail time. So I think there's probably plenty of precedent that it is, uh, you know, bad and <laughs> and you deserve jail time. Uh, they haven't committed murder. Um, is the person who took the poison, are they aware now? Like, they just have to not say Neanderthal? Yes. Um, well, so let's examine the situation in which the, the poisoner doesn't disclose the word. Okay, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And the victim knows they've been poisoned, but they don't know what the Ooh. word is. And then let's examine the situation in which, you know, they know it's the word Neanderthal. Well, one is with, they're deeply affected. If you don't know what the word is, uh, do you know it's a rare word or it could be any given word? That's the point, right? It's just a particular word uh, that triggers this. Or do you mean that they won't accidentally slip up and say, you know? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, Neanderthal is a rare word. Right. Um, but I've said it before. So, you know, and I probably will say it again. So, uh it's not rare enough that you never say But if it. the word was towel, you might actually slip up even if you knew the word was towel. Like that's you, right. And well, that's why I chose Neanderthal, because I, I don't think it's something that's just you're going to slip up and say within the week. Um, or even if you knew, you could avoid saying the word Neanderthal if you knew you're going to die. If you I say just, it. The, the psychological horror, if I didn't know what the word was, knowing a oh, word could terrible. be spoken, I, I wouldn't speak hardly at all. If I knew it was right. a rare word, then I would... I've really dumbed down my vocabulary, I suppose. I don't know. Anyway, it would be horrendous. Uh, If I knew the Mm. word, it would still affect me. It's just a single word. It's kind of fascinating that a single word I would probably become oddly obsessed with, which would... Wouldn't that be strange how it's like, <laughs> don't don't think of elephants or whatever the thing is, and everyone's thinking of elephants. You can't. Right. You're just not allowed to say this one word. And you have to be very, I mean, life or death, you know, don't th- don't say this one word. Very easy task to, to do or not do. Um, yet I would probably, it, I would dream this word. I would, right. you know, it would enter into my psyche in a way and attach itself to me. And I, and I would be avoiding it and horrified by it. So it's also like it would torment me as well if I had been poisoned by this. Um, Uh And so, and I mean, this is deathly. I mean, this is pretty serious. It's very close to murder on par with murder for me. I'm not, I don't see that my instincts Mm -hmm. say this isn't a giant gap. A person gave a poison uh, with intent to harm and it could kill. So you're assuming intent to harm. Uh, Yeah. 
Yeah. But well, I mean, I, I agree. Yeah. Like, I, it's hard to argue, given my setup, that it's not a malicious act, and I'm not even trying to suggest it's not a malicious act. Let's say instead that um, the the reason that this guy poisoned someone is that there was some drama, but you know, some like he cheated on with his wife or some cheating situation, and his wife's name is Samantha, and that's the kill word. If you ever say the word Samantha, then you die. So it's not that. He necessarily wants to kill the other person. He just wants them to never be able to talk about his wife again. You can imagine a situation in which, you know, a maybe passion it's not poison. A, it's some pa- yeah, some poisoning of passion um, <laughs> here. Uh, and so it's not that I'm trying to I'm trying to come up with a situation in which his intent isn't to kill. It's almost like a, a strange kind of restraining order uh, against talking about his wife. Yeah. You know? um, so, but like. I, I really I want to hone in on whether because you seem to think that this was very close to murder. At least, yeah, that's my initial response. Is like, well, yeah. Um, I mean, it's there's no question that it is deadly, can be deadly. But when you think about, especially if you know the word, if you know the word is Neanderthal or Samantha or whatever, if you're aware of that, it sounds like you might be really haunted by it. But I wonder how life impacting that would really be. Like if I knew that I just couldn't say the word Neanderthal, like my day-to-day isn't really impacted that much. There's no question that some crime has been committed and some damage has been done to me, but how severe is that? How much punishment do we owe the poisoner for to, to you know to correct or punish that behavior? Um I'm not I'm not sure because the fact that it's potentially deadly suggests that maybe the charge should be attempted murder, but but the impact on my life isn't that great. So I don't know. I, That's what's interesting about this hypothetical is I can't. I'm trying to attach it to some other act and see similar, you know, that's how we, we function in the world, right? You, you present me information and I say, well, how, well, what does this resemble that I know and how do I feel about what I know? And also where can I go from there? Um, and I don't, this is a strange scenario in which, yeah, you're trying to make the case that it's small. It's not really convincing me because you, it, there's no getting around the fact that this is a, you've now presented possible death. Um, I guess that possible death is always around the corner, uh, but it's hard for me. You, even with you, with the construct of it's poison, and I've delivered this thing that, could kill you and absolutely will kill you if you do this other thing you know say a word reasonably easy to avoid but uh, god i don't know bennett i i tend to still i don't feel persuaded that it's not a big you know that's eh, it's fairly easy to avoid so just you know uh fine him 50 bucks you know we can 50 bucks is way obviously way too small would five Um, years be about right like that's what i'm thinking like i was trying to quantify like so let's imagine you were the one who's poisoned you can't say neanderthal anymore or you will die you're in court like and the guy gets sentenced what would satisfy your sense you know your sense of justice um if you know would a five-year jail sentence make you think, oh, all right, well, you know, I didn't, you know, I can't say Neanderthal anymore, so I'm pissed about that, but at least the guy's going to be sitting in jail for five years. Or would that not be good enough for you, and would you want him to have, you know, a life sentence or something? Um, this might not be where we want to go, but I was thinking uh, if I were 
even from a societal standard that we need to shut this drug down and we need to we need to hang this <laughs> yeah. guy from a rooftop and you know basically say no one's giving out this drug or you're going to we're going to make an example of this guy so but that's not really uh yeah well contemplating a world in which a drug like this exists is a whole other interesting uh, line of thought but yeah not the point of mind your morals so um, I don't think I'd be satisfied with five years. There's even, this is silly, but my uh, freedom of speech has now been infringed upon. You've like altered the way I uh, interact with words. Like to say something is so off limits. It, I mean, that's a principled thing. Like, like, like I should be able to engage and speak uh, and say what I want to say. And now I can't. Um, sure. But the, you know, the, the punishments for a speech infringement crime is certainly lower than the punishment you're right about for that but that's just one murder. aspect that's but like I agree. an additional I agree aspect you. it's another thing like you've you've put my life in jeopardy um you've and and you've impacted my freedom and, in some small yes, way yes um and i i don't I, I might sound silly here but i i i don't think i'd be satisfied with five years um you know I no, I think I think I agree. I think I'm on board with you so far. I think it should be worse. But well, I was trying to think like I, don't, I I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know the um, you know the the uh, the charges and the the sentences that you know exist for attempted murder and all that stuff. But you can imagine if um, a dude with a baseball bat, you know, it sees someone on the sidewalk, runs up and takes a big swing at someone's head, and the person manages to duck, and then. You know, everyone tackles the guy with the bat and disarms him. And so the person yeah. who got swung at did not get hurt, but like it was still the intent to, you know, the intent to cause potentially deadly harm. Like the Plus guy, something the guy else, who swung, though, right? Because this guy could now die. <laughs> yeah, ob- obviously, yeah. There's still there's you know, it's not the same thing. But I'm trying to think of something even close. Um, like the the guy, even though he didn't cause any harm, he swung the bat, didn't hit anyone. He hasn't caused any harm yet. He still would be charged with a crime. Imagine too the wife who calls a hitman for her to inquire about pricing for her husband, and then boom, she's caught, busted right there. It was you know a police sting operation, but she was oh, yeah. on the conversation talking about money, right. dates was pretty was serious was had the money ready basically, um, right. and literally hasn't done anything other than express that she's willing to pay for her husband being killed. I like that. Mm-hmm. That that seems to me because it's a little colder. Like the bat one, you're like this guy might be angry, and then he comes down. And he's like, "Thank God, someone stopped me." This feels a little like when they arrest her, she can't go like, "Oh, it was the throes of passion." I feel like it's this poison seems to be this sort of more calculated thing too. What would the so. charge be in that case? Like uh, conspiracy or what? Because I mean, you obviously, if you try to hire a hitman, like you're not going away. Yeah, this from is murder. interesting. This is something we could. It, it, there's a definitive answer, <laughs> right? Like we need to have a lawyer on and tell us because I'm sure there's a definitive answer for that. I mean, there's a lot of, yeah. you know, how far did she go? Did she meet up with him? How many calls? I'm sure there's lots of that, but, um, you know, that's a fairly straightforward answer, I'm sure. And so, and, and I, I was even just trying to test the feel out of, okay, how about 10 years? How about the guys in jail for 10 years? And like, maybe that we're seems approaching, like it's getting closer. seems like we're approaching, um, um, part of me is like okay with life and that you're done you're you're in jail forever now but like then well i mean we don't 
hand that out even for people who commit murder now i don't really understand this whole 20 to life uh or or what life means and then parole with good behavior I, I just don't understand it's like very complicated system to me and i don't even do we do that like if someone murders someone do you go to jail for like 20 years and then if everything's cool and you've been good you go like what you leave i don't understand what i have a wrinkle um so what if uh what if the the guy you know you're in you've been poisoned um you're in court and the guy says that he will it takes a long time to develop this poison but he can develop an antidote it'll just take him uh three years to develop an antidote and you know he pleads for a lowered sentence in order to to develop the antidote then and he will do that. So after three years, he'll get the antidote. He'll give you the antidote, and you will be able to say Neanderthal to your heart's content. How would that affect his sentence? This is interesting because this feels, I feel like way less burdened all of a sudden. So the guy is either sorry or he's remorseful, or at least he will undo what he did. <laughs> you know, maybe it's because right. he got caught. I don't know. Um, right. But he can undo the damage pretty much completely except i'll have to go for three years not completely because there's three years yes. um well then maybe he should just be in jail for three years you know like me not being able to say neanderthal and him being in jail for three years it sounds like he's getting punished pretty harsh when when yeah. you put it in that frame i know right <laughs> like all he is all, all i have to do is not say neanderthal and it's not an eye for an eye type situation it's like uh but the the death consequence like he can that's just it's just an extraordinary good job like a good job thinking of a weird almost you know no harm done but also maximum harm done (laughs) i have a i have another one that a spicy one that i thought of this morning that i like just as much or more than that one but but i think uh we've gone on long enough for mind your morals so i think we'll save that We'll save that for the next installment, but uh, but just be excited for that one. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna force myself to give a concrete answer. With the wrinkle of the three years, he should he should spend jail be in jail for three years and working on the antidote or whatever. Um, yeah. And that then I feel like that's about right. Um, without it, I'd say uh, I'm gonna. Would you how uh, how nervous would you be after taking the antidote and you? tentatively go to say oh yeah neanderthal actually that's funny <laughs> i think i uh probably still I mean, wouldn't like, say the word right like it would be how, terrifying. how absurd is the situation anyway where like you i mean how how uh, again this is not really along the lines of what the discussion is supposed to be about but how did this guy get caught and how did we believe him you know, he says, ha-ha, you've been poisoned, sucker. <laughs> like, if you say the word Neanderthal, you're going to keel over dead because I poisoned your Cheerios this morning. And and you believe him, and you're like, well, uh, okay, I guess I'm better safe than sorry. Uh, call the police now. And, like, you know, how does this whole situation get created in which you're sitting in court and the judge is like, oh, well, this will in, be five years. In fact, this makes a great little short story. So someone comes in the room and says, you cannot... I have poisoned you. You will die if you say, you know, Neanderthal. And like, do you say it or do? Because this is an absurd situation. It's stupid. It's like, dude. But like, he does something. It's convincing. Like he shows you the poison or whatever. He's there's some sort of credibility about this absurd claim. It's it would. Like, it would be uh, an even. Yeah. It, it would be a, a another uh, twist to the story or or a different short story altogether if you had a con artist somehow 
faking this poison, and he manages to somehow know when someone is going to die, and he stages them saying the word Neanderthal right before they die in order Uh, to convince the other person they've been poisoned. I don't know. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. I'll email it to my my buddy uh, um, M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, (laughs) Your buddy. (laughs) I just call him Shyamalan when we're hanging. Or M. Hey, M. <laughs> there's a, uh, this is a silly thing, but there's, a, um, there's an apartment complex right across from the Zaxby's in my town called The Village. And the sign for the apartments looks just like the title screen for that M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Village. It looks the same. It's like the same font and everything. That's kind of strange. Yeah, I notice it every time I'm sitting in the drive-thru. I'm like, there's The Village. There it is. That's where they shot the movie. That's where they got inspired. All right, so uh, I got a question for you. What's up? Is it significant that lobster, fish, and chicken are our culture's word for that animal and the meat, whereas most mammals seem to require euphemisms like beef and pork that help us separate the meat we eat from the living creatures the meat once was? Huh. So so the lobster, chicken, and... And fish, generally speaking. We just say salmon, but we don't say, like, I'm eating cow. Like, what... Yeah. Why? What's the distinguishing factor? Like, what? What's going on there? Huh. Good question. I wonder if it's a if that restriction is a language thing. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, words developed in a particular way, or whether it's because you know we see cows as more, you know, more uh, more conscious or friendly animals than we have to. We have to de-animalize them <laughs> Do- <laughs> as as the word beef in order to, we, where we don't see chickens as you know being like you know pets. Lobsters certainly not pets, and but we don't see cows as like. I was gonna go on wait, pork though. Pigs are known for being smart, I suppose, on to some degree, um, mm. and oftentimes there seems to be like a cute scale of what we either consider pets or maybe maybe cows are just a little bit too cute and pigs. And we're not saying they're yeah. super cute. We'll eat you. But uh, right, sure. But we need we need to wrestle with that cuteness because chickens they're they're not cute, um, right? right. If, well, yeah. When you're walking through the grocery store and you see a sign that says beef, you don't you know it doesn't put the image of a cow in your head necessarily. Um, or if it said cow, and you're like, oh, time to get some cow, then I mean it's just very clear what that is. <laughs> I'm gonna get me some cow, a cow, cow patties. <laughs> That's what a burger is, right? Well, maybe it's, maybe it's also because maybe it's just because you might be confused, but since you also get milk from cows, rather than, because you could imagine a grocery store where, where they just had a cow aisle where it had you know beef and milk all in the same aisle, but the grocery store needed to split up those sections, so they they came up with the word beef and the word milk, and so they could have two different. Sections. I don't think I really think there's a distancing intentionally. With well, pork. Uh, like lobsters they... don't have milk, so <laughs> case closed. Have you ever tried to chicken, milk a lobster? Chicken milk. Yeah. Lobsters have nipples. <laughs> <laughs> you can milk anything with nipples. Um, lobster nipple. That would be a good band name. <laughs> Did you know that lobster <laughs> lobster nipple <laughs> that just hit me? <laughs> Lobsters used to be considered sort of uh, just trash and gross, and people didn't want to eat them, and they fed them to prisoners. I need to go. You should read Malcolm Gladwell's piece called uh, "Remember the Lobster," something like that. But he he has to go 
uh, to this lobster festival in where is it popular? Like Maine or something like that? Where do they have a lot of lobster? Yeah, I think it's Maine. Maine lobster. So that's, that's their main food. He went to the festival not really wanting to go, was my impression reading it. And he just writes this really... This is this is where I got the idea from about um, calling lobsters lobster and fish fish, uh-huh. but we call beef. Or, you know, we call cows beef. And so, anyway, his, his whole thing about lobsters is fascinating and saying they might be more intelligent or at least able to feel pain or all that he just makes an interesting and unique case that has nothing to do with like writing about the main lobster festival supposed to be this puff piece and he wasn't he was he wrote this really heavy piece and really critical of the whole thing pretty funny Um, yeah but i guess that's kind of the same idea with lamb or at least with veal you know like oh give me some of that baby lamb yeah, like it's more. No, no, no. I'll have some veal. <laughs> Baby lamb, that's terrible. I'll have veal. Uh, <laughs> but we call lamb lamb. So I just don't know why and where we draw those lines, and whether it's just more palatable, like like steak. Uh, I guess there's different God. cuts of the meat too. So maybe it's just better to. Oh, is it truly just out of specificity, or is there something going on? Because you can eat a lobster tail, um, and you can eat. Well, I don't know. Lobster what claws. Lobster claws and. Lobster but fish, we don't even try. Sunday. Sometimes fish, like, you could literally put it on a plate and it's fine. Uh, like, the whole fish. I mean, I don't... That happened? Yeah. Do you remember that happened in Japan? You ordered something <laughs> and it was, like, the fish with its oh, with its fins and, like, I, yeah, I hated yeah. it. I couldn't take it. You gave it a shot. I was I was. It wasn't that. I mean, I'm sh- you've had, you know, like, fried catfish and stuff before, right? I mean, fish on the bone. You know me. I'm a lazy food consumer. I want my chicken filleted. I want everything boneless. And so... Uh, I mean, I will eat wings, but that's part of my thing is that, like, I don't like eating on the bone stuff, uh, whether it's just reminding me if I'm literally eating this leg or something. But, like, seeing the fish with its, like, mouth open and its fins where I the remember it's, it, like, stood, you could stand it up or I don't know if that's not the right way to st- it. It had its fins sticking out to yes, the side. Yes, so it, yeah. was, it, would, it was not laying flat on the plate where its, like, its eyes were, were I mean, its head was as if it were swimming or something, you know, and it was, well, ugh, it was too much for me, man. The funny thing about that story is that like we were in this, this was like an authentic sushi place. And so there weren't, there wasn't any English in there. Right. Their menus didn't have any English on them or anything. And they had, um, we were trying to order and pointing at pictures and all of this stuff, but we were trying to ask for their recommendation. Yeah, like what's good. I was trying to ask for their recommendation for what's good. And they, there was a miscommunication there, and the chef, the sushi chef, held up this fish by the tail, and was trying to. I I interpreted his motioning as, "Do you like fish?" As he held up the fish, and I was like, "Yes." And I assumed that he was going to cut up that fish and make some sushi out of it. And so I was like, "Yes, give me that." And then the next thing I knew, he had like dunked it in a fryer and put it on my plate. <laughs> the whole fish. The whole fish. Uh. Yeah. It did, but I mean, to his credit, it tasted good. I mean, it tasted like fried catfish, so you know, it wasn't bad. I, I don't mind fried catfish, so uh, that was one of our surprises too about Japan. Is that I thought we were going to get into uh, crazy sushi I'd never heard of, or it'd be more. I, I guess it's almost Americanized that we do strange things with our sushi because most of the places there that was just you know pretty the pretty normal stuff or typical stuff. I'd say they didn't yeah, get it was fancy. N- with it was. N- it was nigiri sushi everywhere we went in Japan, and we had to actually, we had to search pretty hard to find a, a place that had sushi rolls like we normally have in America. Right. Um, in Tokyo, we had to search for a place that even served that. It was nigiri everywhere. 
which uh-huh. makes me think we just have a misconceptualized idea of what of what sushi is to Japanese people. Because I was thinking right. it was just going to be everywhere and we're going to get crazy no, rolls. So. They've got it wrong, apparently. <laughs> I didn't realize that Japan had sushi wrong. They have it all wrong. But yeah, I don't know. That lends, uh, that lends weight to, to my case that, that uh, we have America has the best version of everyone's food. <laughs> we uh, make the whole world mad. Uh, there you go. Ostracize everyone. But like Mexican food, like have you ever tried authentic Mexican food? It's just not as cheesy. You know? Yeah, it's not as cheesy, and it's just, I don't know, not as good. I like cheap American-style Mexican food. That stuff is good. Same thing, like, Italian food, like, better, like, just cheesy yeah, Domino's American pan pizza food. is the Dom- best. Domino's pizza? It's good. <laughs> like, people laugh at that, but Domino's pizza is, like, that stuff is tasty. It's good. Well, I had this debate with Adam uh, recently about take something that's just everywhere, like Subway or McDonald's, and it's easy. Who's Adam? Um, Adam is a friend of mine, uh, and you know Adam. And so Ad- I know Adam. <laughs> yeah. So Adam, I, I don't even care to explain. His, his, he doesn't matter in this discussion, really, other than he took the position that, and it's a fairly common one, that places like Subway and McDonald's are crappy. Like, no one likes, they're, they're gross. But to say no one likes them, well, that's just wrong because they're everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. But he would say it's not that people like them. It's just that because they're everywhere, people go to them, and it's affordable, and it's approachable, and it's, you know, it's it yeah, it's high-calorie content at a very affordable price. And it's yeah, it's t- cheap. It's cheap, and at least for Subway, like, they have a variety of stuff, that, uh, sandwiches, you know. I mean, I've eaten a, a good number of Subway sandwiches in my life. Um, I, I guess I haven't eaten at Subway in probably three years or so but still like I've, I've eaten there a number of times mcdonald's I, I there's so many alternatives to mcdonald's that are just as cheap and just as burgery so i avoid mcdonald's I haven't eaten at mcdonald's and i make close to 10 years i'm sure well this argument actually stems we were in miami and we went to this late night sandwich shop and i did not want to go to the sandwich shop we we went instead of pizza we went to the sandwich shop and i was kind of frustrated and uh He's going, isn't this such a great sandwich? And for me, Subway sub sandwiches have a cap. Uh, their ceiling of enjoyment is, like, I guess a five. Like, I'll taste it and go, that is that is a fine sandwich, I suppose. I don't get that excited. Even, you, you mean at Subway or, like, even if you go to, like, a really nice hipster sub sam submarine they call them submarines on their menu (laughs) their menu is like like recycled cardboard and they have a nice font rustic font might as well have been this place they have like pictures of submarines on their walls or something (laughs) it's like super hipster low lighting even then you wouldn't rate it more than a five right from if it's on, if it's deli meats, I'm saying. Now, if we're talking yeah. about sandwiches, but, but they not get into... just deli meats. Oh yeah, we're talking about aged local like grass-fed, yeah, grass-fed, whatever roast yeah. cow. No, this is you're describing the place we went to essentially. Um, Acknowledge my joke, <laughs> cow. Sorry, I'm I'm on to the next thought. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> no, that was good. <laughs> so. Uh, but I was a little frustrated with him, and he was saying, isn't this delicious? And I'll be honest, I mean, it was a toasted sub, man. Like, that's what it was. And and the range for me from crappy sub to delicious sub is almost, like, there's no discernment for me. And admittedly, like, I don't care about it. And so I said, yeah, it's, you know, it's about, like, Subway. And I said that to frustrate him. And then he, he launched into the <laughs> quality and how... Um, 
he said they're horrible quality and i said and then my counter was just i was just pushing his buttons and saying if it's so bad how is it everywhere and then his justification was you know the value and like people aren't that discerning and stuff but um I would still maintain if it's absolutely gross because that's his position, sort of that it's gross. Um, then it just wouldn't go anywhere. It would never have gotten to the point that you could open everywhere. And now, and Subway's particularly interesting because they actually had a healthy image and their quality used to be better, apparently. But now they're everywhere and they've they've just screwed their name essentially by opening yeah. in gas stations and going and they they're not. There's no standardization really. It's pretty just terrible. It's a bad brand. It's it's kind of laughed at even in the fast food world uh, as being like look what, look how bad you or how far you've fallen kind of thing i wonder if we if we sent sub subway sandwiches back in time 100 years you know if we had little time machine boxes like in looper and we yeah. instead of sending convicted uh like people convicted murderers or whatever back in time to be killed instead we sent subway sandwiches back 100 years like would the people open them reverently and like just you know, would they choose to eat a Subway sandwich over the feeling of going to sleep or peeing? Like, <laughs> would it be that delicious to them, the Subway sandwiches from the future? Or, like, is the food of 1920, you know, would it would it outclass Subway sandwiches in every way? That's a good question. Like, I wonder if they taste it and think, oh, these meats are flavorless. And, and they're, what they're basically articulating is how processed it is, even though they might not even understand, like, understand what processed means. But they know something is compromised or is it is it uniquely like the fact that it has all these condiments and different toppings is is that a a little more difficult to obtain i mean by 1920 i feel like you could go get go into a sandwich shop right like they had that um like a 1920s did they invent shops then yeah, when were shops, shops invented? were invented in the 1920s i think 1920s. So, and, and the first so, yeah. one was a was a deli yeah a sub a subway right. sandwich shop so okay um, no, I don't. I don't know. But hundred years ago, that's weird to think that. Yeah, there was definitely like sandwich shops, right? Like, I'm not just being silly. Of course they did. Like, I'm, I'm sounding dumb here, but they did. <laughs> yeah, surely they did. So, um, but if, you're, if it was three hundred years ago or something, like when they're like, "What is this papery thing it's wrapped in?" You know, I'm talking about like <laughs> it's almost mythical looking to them. Uh, I right. think it would be unbelievable to have all these different flavors because they were just literally killing a chicken or whatever and eating it. That was the, they didn't put salt <laughs> on anything. Like, you know, they were just cooking it and plucking it and all of that. So it would be crazy to see this sliced meat, you know, and I think it would be like the best thing they've ever had. I really do. Uh, even just smelling a subway. I think it's a really pleasant smell. Um, that's their signature smell almost. So, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I don't have that big of an issue with subway. Um, like when I when I think about Subway, I don't go there that often because I have better alternatives. But I don't I don't I don't think of them as gross. Um, McDonald's I do think of kind of kind of gross. Well, it's kind of it's the low hanging fruit of like that's right criticism of all fast food is bad. Look at McDonald's um, yeah. or bad for you. There's a whole lot of connotations that we have culturally that. You know, I don't know how true. It, there's a Penn and Teller episode about fast food and how it gets a bad rap, culturally speaking. It's really not as bad as we say. Uh, you mm. probably enjoy watching it. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Hmm. Um, well. Uh, did you hear uh, <laughs> Kobe Bryant died today? Yes, I did hear that. 
And then immediately people were talking about how he like rapes and stuff too. Oh uh, yeah, that I saw. I saw a little bit. I only just read that like um, right before we started this podcast, and was like, oh yeah, that's a basketball player. And I mean, for you to know um, him, it means he's like one of the. He's one of my like. I he's time. one of like the ten basketball players I could name, and he's he's one of them, it, along with like Michael Jordan. You don't. You don't have to do this. <laughs> Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah, I, I obviously could do it. So you're right. Silly task for me to put myself to. I don't need yeah, to do of that. Of course, of course. No, but it, uh, that hit me because, I mean, he was one of the last, I think, he was drafted as an 18-year-old into the NBA. This is before you said you had to go spend a year at college. Um, and he he was on the Lakers for forever. And, and he was, I mean, I, that I, when I was huge into watching the NBA, when I was younger and David, we would watch these games and just Kobe was one of my heroes. I have his rookie card. Um, like I have his rookie card. That's like, do you know, like, did you ever collect baseball or basketball or any cards, football cards? And they would grade them. They put them in the case. Mm-hmm, and, yeah. like, and so I have like a, it, at the time it was valued at like a hundred dollars. Um, wow. Yeah. The, the stupid thought that came in my head it's almost it's but like it, does it does his death impact that uh the value of that card that's just a stupid question though like it's really it probably does yeah but but i'm i'm more frustrated by the fact that like well i don't i honestly just don't know about all the allegations i know like he cheated on his wife and bought her a big ring this is like all stuff i don't really know i just kind of absorbed from there were some accusations about basketball players, including Kobe Bryant, who generally like take advantage of women, um, something along sure. those lines. And so that's what I think people are like. He died, and so everyone talked like they're going, they're pushing that narrative. It's like, can you? That's kind of disappointing. Didn't uh, wasn't one of his kids in the helicopter with him? Like, wasn't it five people who died in the crash? Yes, five. No, I mean, obviously, it wasn't just him out piloting his helicopter. So, I mean, for people to be talking more about his. You know, shady past, you know, alleged or whatever, just kind of sucks. Like it's a weird time. People die too. Cultural icon. It makes me wonder, like, what is that? Just kind of what's? I mean, look, if he, I don't know, if he just like did all these things, then either he should be, should have been maybe in jail. I don't know, but like, it's strange to me that this this cultural icon dies, and we just kind of want to jump to like, you know, like blaming and or not or just saying how gross and bad things are i don't know i just get really really tired that's all i get yeah i get tired of that too is it is it just um i mean twitter is kind of a special little crazy world right like it's almost not reality it's almost like it's super reality uh everything is just amplified there i don't know whenever it just seems like Twitter is a. And don't they say um, Twitterverse? I mean, you and I don't know. Yeah, they do say it. that. I, I don't participate um, on on Twitter at all. So, but everything you know, everything you hear from there. Again, I think it's a consequence of you know the the shortened communication restrictions and stuff. Like you just and th- that it's a popularity contest. Um, it, it just encourages you to make short, punchy, provocative statements yes. um, that are. You know, get people to react emotionally. So. Well, and I guess my thing is, I want to be clear that I don't um, like if he if he did some terrible things. I'm not trying to say we shouldn't critique the man. I guess I'm just saying, is there nothing holy anymore? Like someone dies, and we're just the first. Why thing... critique him? Why critique him on the day that he dies? I mean, instead of you know, like why weren't we critiquing 
if if you care so much about this, why weren't you critiquing it yesterday right. or whenever I mean, when when the allegations I mean, came that's out? That's a valid so. question, and I mean it's just because people are going to say good things about him, and people and that's what bothers me. I guess is the second like there's someone saying, oh, what a what a guy who contributed to NBA and he's whatever. I don't know, just they, eulogizing him essentially, and and the immediate pushback of no 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 he's a, he's a rapist or whatever like that's I just. I mean, I don't know if a, if a terrible rapist dies, it could, that, then okay. Well, if he uh, was a terrible rapist, then surely he would be in jail, right? That's what I think, right? If it was some really clear, obvious. I mean, but there are also power dynamics with celebrities, and uh, so I, I just don't know. I haven't gone to study. I guess what just weighs on me is that when someone dies, and this is what I'm feeling when someone dies, is like sadness, and and then to hear someone kind of go, no, 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 you can't be sad. In fact, he was disgusting. And like, wow, he just died, and we're talking. It, it does something. I don't, I don't like. It's really sad that someone died, and it's really sad to me that they, then we also go into an even darker place. And it's all dark and negative and terrible to me. It's like, why? Well, I think there's there's an additional thing to it, too, is that his death was in a kind of a tragic fashion. Yes, yes you by know? definition. Like a, a lot of times almost. when there are um, celebrity deaths, it's, you know, they die because they're old, and you kind of knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. Or they die because they were overdosing or partying or whatever. And these are just kind of things that you know, we can kind of write them off. And you know, next week we will have mostly forgotten that this old celebrity died or this partying celebrity died. Because well, if they're party, you but, can say they kind of deserved it. Not to be cold, but at least the universe seems fair. You do a lot of drugs, sure. you might die. That's- but, when, but when Kobe Bryant dies in a helicopter crash or Stevie Ray Vaughan dies in a helicopter crash, there have been a, a handful of like celebrity helicopter crashes you know yeah. like then it's just kind of like man he like this this wasn't because of him that he died right uh, it wasn't because he was old it wasn't because he was irresponsibly doing drugs or whatever it was because of a freak accident um and that's different it seems like something that will stick in the collective memory a little bit longer i agree with you because it's it's shocking and out of nowhere was there's no build toward it. There was no mental preparation. If someone's a partier, we can kind of go, they might face something difficult. Or if they're old, you know, they they can't live forever. I also yeah. think that there's, back to my point about like feeling frustrated about the impulse to sort of critique right after death, is that uh, there's a, I mean, every culture deals with death differently, right? But we, we do some strange things. We put them in a box and put them underground. I mean, of course, we cremate hmm. and there are other options, but, you know, we have a funeral, we... We, but the whole point is, no matter what the culture is, we deal with death. And one of the ways we deal with it is uh, doing a eulogy or remembering the fond things or trying to right. focus on some positive memories, that sort of thing. And so, so uh, being twisted, <laughs> it yeah, it when it's I react strongly to that that sort of. I think that's an important it's, cultural is it, notion. Is it a counter traditional sort of outcry? Uh, oh, you all want to, you know, our traditional culture eulogizes and remembers fondly the people who die well not me yes i'm gonna buck tradition and criticize i think it's truly coming from that place well and it's just it's provocative when someone dies to say something mean so but i almost feel like that's i don't know it doesn't shock me anymore it just makes me sad um but you're right i think i think there's a thing that's like we do put people on a pedestal um, and I think there are some problems with that, but I honestly think it's okay when someone dies to go, all right, well, you know, what, what did they, 
it makes sense to say let's remember some of the good times now if they're complete and utter monsters but i don't i just have a hard time believing he is some complete and utter monster that they weren't if that's the case you know i just feel like it would be more clear uh right i don't know speaking of sports i'm really surprised you decided to do this uh podcast instead of watch the super bowl or is that tomorrow? I think it might be Super Bowl next Monday weekend, and I think it might be next Monday. Uh, is it on Monday? I'm, Super Bowl I'm Monday. Ask Siri here, or I'm going to ask Google, and I also want to hear how it sounds on the microphone. Hey Google, <laughs> when is the Super Bowl? The 49ers will be playing the Chiefs on February second at six thirty p.m. February second at six thirty p.m. Oh wow! Did you hear that? I knew at it. All? Yeah, I could hear okay. that. Fine. Um, I uh, I knew that the Super Bowl was, were nearing that time because when I was uh, having my pleasurable shopping experience at Publix, I saw a stand <laughs> that talked about the Super Bowl, so I knew, here it comes. So that was just you saying, hey, look, I know things about culture and football. Yeah. <laughs> could, yeah, yeah. could you have told I, me I who my, was in it? No, absolutely not. I, def- I couldn't even now. I'd forgotten what, <laughs> uh, what, what your Google spy said to you. If it had... <laughs> I caught that, by the way. Um, if if I had realized the Super Bowl were happening right now, I would be a little sad because I mean I want to watch it. It's like one of the things we all collectively kind of do. Not everyone, obviously, but uh, there's not that many things that everyone just kind of does. Everyone watches the Super Bowl. Do they? I mean, uh, I mean, a lot of people do. They even talk like, about Super interesting Bowl things ratings like, up. Yes, and when well, the toilet flushing at halftime is even like a thing that you can see. They it's somehow that's like measurable, and you can see all these what? flushes, and it's tough on the the city. What? I don't even know what you're I, talking. about. I don't know something about this is all. This all sounds kind of made up, but I've heard that like the the uh, the it's tough on the pipes, and it's tough on the whole like city, like in New, in like New York and major cities. Everyone goes just, to like, the bathroom during halftime. Yeah, because that's a general thing. People go pee during halftime or use the restroom. Halftime is long in the Super Bowl. Well, though, right, right, but you can see in this like sort of window, like wow, look at the number of I don't know. They're not counting flushes, I guess, but like the water consumed the water is level. like wild in this in this very you know like forty five minute span. It's like this incredible thing to see, and that's a that's a neat idea. It's just it's because of the Super Bowl that this is happening. Yeah, that's kind of neat. It's kind of a neat idea. Yeah, I mean, I'd need to go look into that. But that's just what I remember hearing and going, "Huh, like the ultimate like flush." You know, everyone. I like this idea of everyone <laughs> in America ultimate flushing flush. the <laughs> Super Bowl. <laughs> ultimate flush. Yeah, I wasn't even trying to build toward that, uh, but I like it. Welp. Welp. That's a good way to wrap it I up. I think it is. See you next time. See you next time.